All right, so we are headed into a great series uh, over the next month or so, maybe six weeks, through the, the book of Romans, particularly chapters 12 through 14, and it's called Inspired. And uh, we need to be inspired, as that video said, by good news, because there is not a lot of good news going on in 2020. Uh, it is a really kind of a dumpster fire, as we've talked about. We don't need to go over all that. We know it. We're hearing it. We're feeling it. Uh, even, you know, as we're speaking, uh, national numbers, global numbers when it comes to COVID are not looking real great. We're heading into winter. We're wondering about all kinds of stuff happen happening for 2021. So, so that stuff is very uninspiring. And so we need something deeper than the circumstances around us to sort of get us going, to have a truly inspired life based on something that is meaningful and profound and true and rock solid. Now, there is inspiration around us. Sometimes you have to look for it in our day and age, but there is inspiration around us. There are people who, ins who are inspired to do a lot of things. Uh, maybe you have a particular political candidate you're very excited about. You might be inspired to, to give to that candidate or, or go to a rally or post something online. Uh, you might be inspired to uh, promote public safety. And so there's a, a bunch of people, millions of people that are very excited about public safety, looking out for each other. And so they might post and share on that. There are a lot of people who are inspired for personal freedom. You know, we don't want to kind of collapse. We want to be able to live free. And, and so there's people inspired to promote freedom. There are people inspired to do things that are merciful. And so uh, our, our Thanksgiving meals, our turkey trot, even last night at October Extravaganza, just things that we're doing to motivate people to bring smiles to children, to get families out of the house, to do something good together, to help people in need. There are people who are motivated and inspired to bring justice to the marginalized. There are people who, ins who are inspired still, even today, to succeed, to thrive despite the challenges around us. There are people inspired to create and innovate, to grow personally. There are people inspired to change something around them, maybe to serve others or to love. Inspiration is around us, even though we are not living in inspired times, there is inspiration around us, you just have to look. So as we look at Romans chapters 12 through 14, we are going to see and experience a lot of, of exciting and inspirational things together, together over these next four to six weeks. And so to start off this series, I want to ask you this question. What are you inspired to do and where does your inspiration come from? What are you inspired to do and where does your inspiration come from? Now, for many of you, you might know the answer to that question. Despite the challenges of 2020, you might think, okay, well, I'm still inspired to do this, and this is where that inspiration comes from. An inspiration to help or an inspiration to succeed means that I am inspired now to do X, Y, and Z. So you might know the answer to that question. For some of you, you might be thinking, well, I was inspired in 2019. Now my inspiration is a little bit muted. I'm, I just don't have the passion or the fire I used to have, but I'll get through it. You know, Once we kind of move beyond this, I'll, I'll get back to it. So you might have a muted inspiration right now, but you're still hopeful for the future. Others of you may have lost your inspiration and lost your spark altogether. The trials and tribulations and struggles of 2020, maybe you already struggled with a lack of inspiration and now you are just finding yourself in a little bit of a dark place if you were to be honest. Now, MD Anderson has been tracking not just the physical impacts of the COVID season, but the mental impacts of the COVID season. And they're seeing a rise in people who are not feeling like themselves. And maybe you can identify with that. Distancing from the things you used to love to do, distancing from the people you used to love to hang out with, there's just a little bit of a numbness. Maybe feelings of sadness, maybe random tearfulness that you can't quite explain, a feeling of emptiness. Uh, 
Maybe you are feeling restless. You just got this tension. It's this underlying tension. Maybe you're a little snappy, a little more angry, a little more irritable. Don't be doing this to each other. I'm seeing some of you. I see you through the camera. Maybe changing sleep patterns or changing in your eating. And so weight loss or weight gain. And there's just things that are happening that, that are making you feel a little uninspired. And listen, that's normal. These are tough times. And maybe if you struggled with a lack of inspiration before COVID, just realize it's, it's maybe just part of your unique journey to struggle a little bit more right now. And to not collapse under that, but say, okay, maybe it's time for me to get a little bit of help, whether it's help from here, God's word, Romans 12 through 14 ought to help read it. Um, Maybe get some help from a therapist, get some help from your doctor. There's just a lot of help available. But the truth that we're going to be living in is despite tough times, we can still live a truly inspired life. We can still live a truly inspired life. And inspiration doesn't have to come when things get better. We can experience a truly inspired life right here, right now, no matter what. And we're going to get that inspiration from an unlikely place called the book of Romans. The book of Romans is not known for being a particularly inspiring book. In fact, if you just start reading the book of Romans, right around chapter four, you're going to probably get a little disconnected because there's so many things in there that are very specific to the Jewish people, very specific to Roman culture, very specific to to theologies in terms of the law and grace and examples in the book of Romans that you may may not be familiar with. So the book of Romans is really a book that what I call theo geeks get a charge out of. People who are just geeking out on theology. I'll put myself in that category. There are fewer and fewer of us in the world. Um, But you get excited about that stuff. You know, you just want to get in and dive in and know all the little nuanced details of the book of Romans. And so for theo geeks, Romans is really, you know, the book. And they're grabbing onto that book of Romans and the book of Hebrews, right? Just these theologically rich books and, and the rest of the people kind of roll their eyes at it. But if you look at the second half of the book of Romans, it is a deeply inspiring experience. I'm going to give you one example. We're going to go through three chapters together, detail those chapters over the course of the series. I'm going to give you one little, little example of that. And as I read this example, I want you to kind of think about a locker room. You know, you, you've got a locker room, uh, say a football team, they're about to hit the field and maybe they're experiencing some challenges. They're at halftime and, you know, first half didn't go real well and the coach is going to rally them to be strong and to endure and to do your job and all that coachy stuff, right? Teamwork. And so what would be the speech given to a football locker room heading into the second half when the first half didn't go real well? That's sort of the context of the second half of the book of Romans. This church is experiencing a lot of persecution. There's a lot of divisions in their congregation based on theology, based on ethnicity, race. So there's some challenges in this church. And the apostle Paul, who's never met them, is sort of a coach, you know, through distance. Instead of, you know, web streaming, he is sending them a letter. And he's a coach encouraging them to endure, to be strong, right? To be inspired. Here's one example. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what's wrong, hold tight to what is good, love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Doesn't that sound like a, like a locker speech, um, locker room speech for a church? You know, just imagine a church gathering together. Imagine this is a locker room online. You're joining us in our locker room and things in the world are not going so well, but here is this inspiring speech to give us strength, to give us courage, to have us endure and to go out and make a difference, right? 
This is the inspiration from Romans chapters 12 through 14. But the question is, is this just hype? Is this just hype? And I will tell you that you know, religious environments, church environments are sort of known for hype as you get you know, somebody up on stage and they give this rousing thing, but at the end of the sermon, you're like, what was he talking about? Was there any substance there? You probably ask that every single Sunday when you leave here, right? Was there any substance there or is it just hype? What we might say is it's style versus substance. You might have heard that, you know, in all kinds of environments, there's style and substance. You can have all the style in the world. You can be a great, you know, order. You can, you can be a great motivational speaker, right? Just imagine you're sort of at a sales conference and, and your, your company's unveiling a product and they're trying to hype up the sales team to go sell that product. But if that product actually is a piece of garbage that fails and doesn't do the job, does the style make any difference? No, it all falls apart because there's no substance there. So the question is, is there substance in the book of Romans? Or is, is chapters 12 through 14 of Romans just hype speech, just religious hype speech, or is there substance there? Well, if you know anything about the book of Romans, it is full of substance. So just to give you a little background on Romans, it is a church in the city of? Ah, yes, Rome. A church in the city of Rome. And the Apostle Paul's writing to this church. It's the center of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, you know, took over Southern Europe, Western Asia, Northern Africa, uh, you know, one of the great global empires, right, through, through threats and war and death and fear, they built this great empire, right, including the nation of Israel, swallowed up by the Roman Empire. And so here you have this brand new church in the city of Rome, just 30 years roughly after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is this church in the city of Rome that's very diverse. Some Jews there, some Gentiles or non-Jews that are there. And so Rome, Rome is a very diverse city, a, a huge metropolis, capital city of the Roman Empire. And here's this church in the city of Rome, very diverse, following Jesus, but struggling to unify. And they're also struggling with persecution. The emperor was Nero at the time, and you might know uh, your history books, Nero was a psychopath, right? And he blamed everything on Christians. So he was famous for crucifying Christians and, 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 and dousing Christians in oil, impaling them and lighting them alive on fire to light his gardens at night. I mean, this is Nero in Rome. So the church in Rome was full of fear because that persecution was starting to rise. So they were afraid for their life. I mean, this made 2020 look like, you know, walking the park. Persecution was, was rising in the city of Rome against Christians. And not only that, but they're fighting amongst each other because the Jews have these traditions and the Gentiles don't know the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament. They're, they just want to follow Jesus and there's, and there's just warring taking place in the church as there's a war taking place against the church. So that's the context of the book of Romans. Yet even in all that, Romans is an inspiring vision for a church to shine the light of the love of Christ to the world. Despite all that, it's this inspirational book with a solid substantive foundation to live an inspiring life of love in the world. And so throughout the, the book of Romans, particularly the last uh, few chapters, there's an inspiration to hang in there. Inspire to hang in there. Inspire to enjoy God. Don't live in tension with God. Enjoy him by his grace. Inspire to enjoy each other. Despite your differences, enjoy each other. And not just to just, just enjoy each other, but to live in unity and harmony with one another so that together in unity we can do good for the world around us. This is the inspiration from Romans 12 through 14. And do we need that inspiration today? Absolutely 
We need the same inspiration today to hang in there, enjoy God, enjoy each other. Don't fight with each other. Uh, and, and, and be inspired to be a united church doing good for the world together. Now, in order to understand the inspiring part of Romans, which is chapters 12 through 14, we need to understand the substantive portion of Romans, which is chapters 1 through 11. And those two parts of the book are connected by a single word, and that word is therefore. Romans 12.1, that word is therefore. And in kind of theology 101, when it comes to interpretation, um, and this is a little bit of theology humor, is you ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And all the theologies kind of laugh. <laughs> yeah, there you are. That's funny. Yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? Because if you, if you don't know why the therefore is there, you don't know what connects the two pieces, right? So the therefore of Romans 12.1 is the bridge between the substance of Romans 1 through 11 and the style of Romans 12 through 14. So that, therefore, is the bridge. So to just outline the book of Romans in the most rough way, Romans 1 through 11 is the foundation, the substance of our, of our theology, what we believe about God. Romans 12, 1, therefore, is the bridge to the inspiring chapters of Romans 12 through 14. And so we're going to land on chapters 12 through 14 over the next month or so, but in order to do that, we've got to know a little bit about the substance, the foundation of our faith in chapters 1 through 11. So over the next roughly, oh, 16 minutes, we're going to talk about Romans 1 through 11. And, and if you've studied any theology, you're thinking, you cannot possibly go through 11 chapters of, of Romans in now 15 minutes. It is not possible. Oh, yes, it is. Game on. Ready? All right. Chapters 1 through 11 is the theological foundation of an, of an inspired life. One theologian put it this way, that Romans 1 through 11 is a step-by-step, -step, persistently and methodically hew his way through the credo. This is the, the theology detailing the meaning of God's work in Christ. So the Apostle Paul, who didn't plant the church at Rome, but he's writing to the church at Rome to inspire them, he's basing that inspiration on the credo what we believe about God, what we believe about his grace, what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about the meaning of God's work in Christ, and that will inspire us to really live a good, meaningful, profound life. That's why the therefore is there, to connect the theology, the credo of 1 through 11 with the inspiring life of 12 through 14. So let's go through these chapters. Ready? We're going to go quick, but I think it'll make good sense. Romans chapter 1, the theme of Romans chapter 1 is simply this, that the godless culture around us fails to match God's vision for humankind. Now, every, every good religious Christian at this point will say, okay, yes, absolutely, amen, the world out there is a godless mess, they're immoral, you know, they're um, you know, disobeying God, they're not matching God's standards. And we know God's standards, God's vision for our world, all you have to do is read Genesis 1 and 2. God's vision is for us to walk with him and walk with each other in harmony and love. That's God's vision. And the world out there is not living according to God's vision. The world out there is living selfishly, largely. They're looking out for their own. They're, they're you know, looking out for their own pleasure, their own power, their own prosperity, sometimes at the expense of others. There's violence out there. There's ego out there. There's all kinds of problems out there to which religious people go, yes, go get them. So Paul goes and gets them. Ready? Romans 1.23, instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, Gentiles worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So just think about Roman idols, Roman gods, at least a thousand of them. 
So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Basically, God's just saying, hey, listen, you've got a free will. I'm not gonna force you to honor me. I'm not gonna force you to live according to my vision for humankind, love and peace and selflessness. I'm not gonna force you. You know, it, go and do what you need to do. And that involves, you know, destroying their relationship with God, sometimes destroying other people, right? So as a result, they did violent, degrading things with their bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator. So they're serving themselves and their own pleasures. They're serving money, right? Just to hoard things for themselves. And they're not looking out for other people. This is sort of the world gone crazy, dishonoring God, dishonoring God's vision for humankind. And again, all the religious people are going, yeah, go get them. They're terrible out there. Romans chapter two. The theme of this is that the religious also fail to match God's vision for humankind. So as the religious people are saying, yeah, go get them. You know, Paul, the world is terrible. Paul says, oh, let's talk about you, religious folks. And these are particularly the Jews who took great pride in the 10 commandments and obeying the 10 commandments. They, they, they took great pride in the Old Testament laws. This is what the apostle Paul says about the religious. Religious Jews, you may think you can condemn the Gentiles. Yes, we actually can. We do it for sport. But you're just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. If I can just read between the lines there, you do the very same things. You're just more quiet about it. You're just more secretive about it. Because you're a religious person, you have to pretend like you kind of have it all together, but you have the same thoughts, you have the same heart, you're the same when it comes to selfishness, looking out for your own, than the Gentiles. So religious and non-religious people are the same on the inside, the same human nature, the same tendency for selfishness, the same tendency to not look out for others, right? The same tendency for pride. We just keep it more secret. It looks a little buttoned up in church than it does in the non-churched world. But both the non-churched secular world and the religious culture both equally fail. That's where we get to Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three says, we all fail, as Evan said earlier, but there is grace. We all fail, but there is grace. One of the most famous passages in all the scripture is Romans 3, 23 through 24. Many of you might've even memorized this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet all are made right with God freely by his grace through the forgiveness that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. We are all equally failing to match the vision of God in our lives. None of us has a right to judge any other person. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. So does that mean it's just we're all condemned and that's the end of that? No, there is grace. We're made right with God freely by grace through Jesus. Now I'm telling you, these two verses are the core of the core of the gospel. This is the good news. This is it. I had to think about this last service, but I'm pretty sure if all we had from the entire scripture were these two verses, we'd be okay. These two verses, all have sinned, but God made us right by grace through Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. That's as core, that's as essential as it gets. And it's right here in this beautiful, beautiful segment of scripture, this theology of Romans chapters one through 11. It really is magnificent. We are made right with God. And I want you to understand that, that verb, made. 
God does it. He just does it. God is not waiting around for us to believe all the right things. God is not waiting around for us to repent of all the right sins. God is not waiting around for us to be religious little boys and girls. He just says, I am making you perfect. You're welcome. And I did it all through Jesus Christ. You don't have to do anything, not one thing. God just does it through Jesus. Now I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty here, and I'm going to... um, I'm going to be the voice of God whispering in your ear right now. I know that sounds a little arrogant, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be the voice of God whispering in your ear right now. And I'm telling you, if the world heard this whisper from God based on the theology of Romans, imagine how much better the world would be today. Here's the voice of God in your ear. The voice of God in your ear is telling you this. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You and I both know you don't do it all right. But just so you know... We're good. I love you like a perfect father would. I've already forgiven you of every failure in your past, and I've already forgiven you of every failure in your future. In my eyes, you're my perfect child. Oh, and don't worry. You don't have to do anything for me. Just know you and I, we're good. That's the voice of God in your ear. And some of us can barely believe that. How can I be good with God? If you only knew what I did, if you only knew my doubts, if you, if you only knew what I've done in the past, if you only knew what, you, what was in my head, the thoughts that I have, you wouldn't say I'm good with God. And God is telling you, we're good. It has nothing to do with whether you're good enough, devout enough, religious enough, faithful enough, correct enough, God made you right with him through Jesus Christ. He just did it. Believing that is life. Believing that would cause us to live an inspired life because that is what it means to be unconditionally loved by God. He just did it for you. And God just is sitting up there saying, you're welcome. And, and, and when you believe this truth, when you know how much you're loved by me, you will live at such peace. You will live at, at such rest. And so here you have Romans chapter four. God is essentially trying to scream to all of humanity, stop working for me. Stop working to earn anything from me. That's Romans chapter four. Romans four, four through five says this. Now to the one who works, if you're working, working, working for anyone, when you get a wage, you get what you deserve. So for people who are working, working, working for God, they get what they're earned, but what they deserve. But to the ones who do not work, To the one who does not work but simply believes in God's work, they are counted as right in his eyes, not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives. The Apostle Paul is just trying to pound this into our heads. Stop working for God. Stop trying to be approved for God. Stop trying to earn anything from God. Stop trying to earn answered prayers because you're good enough or faithful enough or pray right. Stop trying to earn God's blessing in your life because you're a good person. Stop trying to earn the right to go to heaven when you die because you're better than that person. Stop working for God. Quit. Resign. Don't work for God. Just believe in God's work. That's Romans chapter four. And if we understand that, and if we receive that and believe that, then Romans chapter five, we will live at perfect peace. God wants us to live at perfect peace with him, to just enjoy him. So now we have Romans chapter five that urges us to live at peace with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's eyes, there it is again, 
Since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. It's time and time and time again, drilling this into our heads. Stop working for God. Stop trying to earn anything from him. Just accept his grace, his forgiveness, his love, eternal life by grace through Christ. Just believe, just receive. That's all you have to do. Stop working and live at peace because if we're living at peace, then God is no longer some distant force to be feared. He is a friend. He's a friend. He's close. He's near. He's for us. So Romans 5.11 goes on to say this. So now we can take great pleasure in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God's not this fearful distant judge. He is a close and near friend who's always for us, never against us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's inspiring. And then Romans 6 and 7 answers two questions because everybody has these two questions. When you're faced with such grace, there are always the same two questions that pop up. Every single time, I'm telling you, I get these two questions all the time, all the time. We are unashamedly a hyper-grace church. So I'm just gonna say it right now and look at the camera too. We're a hyper-grace church. There are people out there who are, Rancho, they're a hyper-grace church. It's like, uh, yes, correct, got us. We are hyper grace. We can only be transformed by grace, not by religious law, guilt, fear, and threats. That never works. Read the book of Galatians. It never, ever works. It was not designed to work. I just about cried over there when I heard Evan talking about the laws like an x-ray revealing sin but can't fix the problem. I'm like, dude, you got it. I don't even need to get up here. Some of you are saying, good, I got, I got stuff to do, right? That's exactly right, exactly right. All the religious culture just says you've got to obey more and submit more and please God more, and it's just a burden, 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 right? Hyper grace says God just did all of it through Jesus Christ. Rest, right? Live at peace. But then the question always comes, won't more grace result in more sin? I've gotten that question more than any other question in ministry. Fortunately, that is exactly the question asked in Romans 6. So I don't even have to invent an answer. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should we just go nuts? Should we just go wild? Should we just destroy our lives and destroy our families and and destroy the lives of others because we can get away with it because God's going to forgive us in the end? And the answer of the Apostle Paul is, no, may it never be. And he never, ever says, oh, may it never be, so toe the line, obey, submit, you know, work to please God. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He simply says this, Romans 6, 14. Sin is no longer your master. You're free from sin because you're free from the law. For you no longer live under the requirements of the religious law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You are free to be loved by God. You're free to enjoy God, which means you are free to be gracious to others. You're free to live a life of love. And Paul says also buried in Romans 6, he says, why would you even want to destroy yourself or destroy your family or destroy the world around you in the face of such love and grace that comes from God. Grace begets grace. Law and judgment begets destruction. And that is exactly what Romans is all about. Won't, more, won't, we, won't we sin more because there's more grace? The answer is no. Where there's grace, there's grace returned. Where there's love, there's love returned. And that is the Christian life. Romans 7 answer, asks a second question. Well, what if I keep on sinning? What if I keep on making the same mistakes? Um, and we've all had that question. We've all struggled, and we all struggle today with things that, that we know we shouldn't do. We are all doing things we know we shouldn't do, whether in our public life or private life. 
We, we all would love to do more things than we're doing, you know, maybe giving more, serving more, or talking about, you know, our relationship with God more. You know, we know we should stop doing some things we're doing, and we know we should do some things we're not. That's what Romans 7 is all about. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, who's writing this book of Romans, he says, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things I want to do. And so there's this struggle. What if I keep on sinning? What if I keep on making the same mistakes? This is what he says in Romans 7, 22. He says, on the one hand, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that makes me a slave to sin. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God, it's Jesus. He's the one who forgives. And so God is patient with us in our struggles. So if we do the same thing over and over again, yes, we want to do better. God, we want to have our life match God's vision for our life because it's the best vision for us. It's the highest vision for us. It's the noble vision for us. But we are all a work in process, aren't we? God is patient with us in that process. Those are the questions of Romans 6 and 7. And now we get to Romans 8, which says, through it all, through our struggle with sin, through the struggles in the world, through it all, we're becoming more like Jesus. We are becoming more like Jesus through it all. So Romans 8, 28 through 29, says that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For God knew us and chose us to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters to come. We are becoming more and more like Jesus through it all. Through our struggle with sin, through our struggle doing the things we know we shouldn't do and not doing the things we know we should, through that struggle, God's grace is there, we're forgiven, we're good with God, keep moving forward to become more and more like Jesus. We're all a work in process. Through the struggles of our time around us, in the case of the first century church, through the persecutions and divisions, you're a work in progress, keep becoming more and more like Jesus, conformed to the image of his son. It's a work in progress. Towards what goal? Romans 9 through 11, the goal of a diverse global community united in Christ. That's what Romans 9 through 11 is all about. It's a vision of a diverse global community united in Jesus with all our racial and ethnic differences united in Jesus with all of our theological perspectives and differences united in Jesus. And here's the vision of Romans 10, verse 12 through 13. Jews and Gentiles are all the same, right? We're all the same in our sin. We're all the same in our struggles. We're all the same in our failures. We're all the same in our doubts. We're all a work in progress. Jews and Gentiles are all the same. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's grace is available to all. And when we believe that grace and know that grace, that we can stop working for God we don't have to earn anything from him. He just saves us through Jesus Christ. He forgives us through Christ so we can live at peace even despite the struggles, even despite our own you know, behavior at times, not aligning with what we know is the heart of Christ. Through all of the struggles of the circumstances around us, we can rest our life on the inspiring grace of God just given to us through Jesus Christ. We can stop working for God. We can live at peace. We can unite with each other as a global community of faith. That's the solid foundation under our feet.